When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We got a little surprise for you tonight. It is so beautiful to see you. Up there, live music lovers. Welcome to the seventh edition of First Concert Memories, the monthly sidecast from your friends at the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Where we have on a guest to talk about the first time they saw a particular band live and how it may have changed their lives. And I know we all have them, whether it was the first one you were dragged to by your older brother or the first time you saved your own money to go to a show or maybe the first time you camped out for tickets to make sure you got those good seats. It's what First Concert Memories are all about. Not only telling a story of one night for one person about one particular band, but the whole experience of gearing up and going to see live music. And those shared experiences are what we're trying to bring out here on First Concert Memories. We really appreciate you listening to the sixth episode with our buddy Marcus in the Darkest Goldman from WMMR in Philadelphia talking about seeing you two live at Red Rocks. Yes, that U2 Live at Red Rock show. The famous Sunday Bloody Sunday video was filmed. Great story, great fun with Marcus. And this week, we had a lot of fun with another guest who we'd not spoken with before. Stephanie Myers, who's our Pantheon sister from her fun show, Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes. And now also the Song Facts podcast agreed to come on to talk to us about the first time she saw Meatloaf. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Neither Jackson and I are huge Meatloaf fans. It's very theatrical. He's got a couple of classic 70s songs in his catalog. But I can't say that beyond the Behind the Music episode they showed on VH1 in the late 90s, early 2000s, I really knew a whole lot about Meatloaf and his music. And that's why we're so psyched to get Stephanie on, because she is a huge Meatloaf fan. As you'll hear, she's seen him over 10 times over the course of her life. And on this show, she's talking about the first time she ever saw him in Houston when she was about 13 years old and had to work her parents into making a deal that if she could pay for it, then her father would take her. And it's a fun conversation. Stephanie's great. She's really cool. She's a lot of fun to talk to. We had a lot of good laughs on this episode. So not only do we do the typical 20 questions that we always give to all of our guests on First Concert Memories, but thanks to her fun personality, we got to go off in a few different directions that made it fun for all of us. So we're going to get into that shortly, but first we do have just a little bit of business to take care of. We are very proud to be sponsored by RareVinyl.com, one of the finest LP procurers, catalogers, and shippers 
shoppers in the world. Okay, they've been doing it for 40 years. They have a quarter of a million items in stock. From the rarest first editions to incredibly hard to find foreign editions, LPs, CDs, tour programs, posters, you name it, they've got them in stock. I bet they've even got a few meatloaf items in stock somewhere. But whatever you're into, go to rarevinyl.com, use the code UGLY, and save yourself 10%. That's 10% off one order, whether it's 2 pounds or 200 pounds, right? So don't just go get that one single that you could get at Amazon. Go find something rare. Go find that picture disc you always wanted. Go find something from Japan that you can't easily find anywhere and use the code UGLY and save 10% on your whole order. All right, this is a fun one. We were so glad to have the pleasure of welcoming Stephanie Myers to our show to talk about her seeing meatloaf for the first time. Well, we are excited to welcome Stephanie Myers to the program of the Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes podcast, and most recently of the Song Facts podcast. Stephanie, thank you for joining us here on The Wolf. Thank you both. I'm so excited to be here. Actually, I got to take that back. It's okay. first concert memories. I mean, we're still well, happy okay. to have you. I'm not taking okay. that back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I just I forgot for a second we were on our sidecast here, first concert memories. Okay. But this is fun. I mean, this is, uh, we've got a lot of great feedback on this as far as because we can go in so many different directions with it yes i gave you like the sixth grade civics you know who what where why questions you know <laughs> of the night but the more interesting stuff is down at the bottom and that's where all of our side questions come from and it's just great to be able to hear people's experience on what was a special night for them right and it involved rock and roll music yeah i love it I love it. And yeah, I remember that night really clearly. It was a really special night for me. All right. So before we get into the who, what, when, where, why, how did you get into Meatloaf? Did you love him when you were little? Then he came back? Or was it this this big comeback on so much news? You guys say, well, I got to see what this is all about. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd become a really big Meatloaf fan at age 12. And I was very into the Bad Out of Hell 2 album, which at okay. that time was huge. And to give context, which is around the time I saw this concert, I'd do anything for love hit number one all over the world. Right. Um, Meatloaf uh, won a Grammy for that performance earlier that year, which I always like to remind people of because <laughs> that was a big deal for him. Right. So yeah, and I've been that started my fandom, been a really big fan. I don't know if you guys can probably see it on here, but I'm actually wearing um, this necklace is part of one of his guitar strings. I wear it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So had... we're we're in a whole different we're in a whole different world here now. This is not <laughs> this is not like hey, I went to the show. You are a huge fan. I'm a really big fan, and okay. it spanned out my life. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And I know that you did an episode on Stephanie and Stephanie about Mr. Loaf and your love. I did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, how did you was... two meet, by the way, since I don't know that story? Yeah, Stephanie Pena and I met in college and we quickly bonded over our uh, tastes in music, over what we loved to do, which was go see concerts. And really, when we decided to start the show, we said, you know, we have so many stories and we're telling people them you know, just all the time. But I think this would be a really good podcast. And we just try to connect the memories to the music because to me, that's a really special thing to share. But as a listener, I love hearing people's memories. Stories, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a really big thing for me. And music's, you know, such a, a part of people's lives, you know. Boy, that sounds familiar to me, Jackson. How about you? <laughs> Which is why I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Yes. Well, a couple of college roommates here who bonded over <laughs> music and, uh, yes, went to some of our first big concerts together. So that's cool. But we wanted to have you on because we're not 
huge meatloaf fans. Not like we we don't like him. It's just like, you know, to me he's only really done a couple albums and it wasn't really my thing. God bless him. Think he's think he's quite a character. Loved him in Fight Club, you know. Yeah. How about you, Jackson? I mean, you did you ever meet Meatloaf? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, briefly, it, it was very odd. I was I had to have been probably in middle school at that point in time. So before this record ever came out, but I mean, I knew I knew he was, I knew who he was, and I knew he lived in the town that I lived in. And I showed up at the Muni Golf Course, and there's a dude standing in the corner who's probably, you know, I don't know how old he was at that point in time in the in the kind of the late mid to late '80s, standing there in golf gear and a ponytail, <laughs> and just thinking to myself, you had sunglasses on and everything, and I'm like, now wait a minute, I knew he lived in the town. I'm like, that's gotta be him. Who else would that be? <laughs> right. So I just, you know, I just went over to him, like, oh hey, meet love. He's like, oh yeah, and he was trying to play it, you know, down. Like I'm not, you know, big star here, big star here, just looking to play golf. So yeah, real quick. Uh, but I mean, in the two seconds I met him, super nice guy. And it wasn't like, hey kid, get away from me, don't talk to me. But it was kind of cool because he was just trying to be a regular townie, trying to play some golf that day. But that didn't it's- inspire you. Okay. <laughs> to uh, to go out and listen to his music more, and then teach me about it once we got to college together. Here's here was my thing about about Meatloaf and and Bad Out of Hell. To me, it was always it was too over the top for me. That that was there was not that there was anything wrong with it. It was what, just theatrically. That wasn't my ta- yes, correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It, it, it's really <laughs> not, right. and and yeah. it's it's you know we were we were kind of doing a little pregame this morning, just talking about a couple different things. I mean, Bad Out of Hell is if it's not a double diamond, it's got to be pretty close to being a twenty million seller. So, yeah. very very successful. Just not my cup of tea as a you know middle schooler slash early high schooler <laughs> gotcha that's fair yeah. that's fair so do you have like other meatloaf friends is that like something you bond with like a lot of people like i'm a rush fan if i see somebody in a rush shirt it's like i can go over and say hi to him and talk to him a little bit is it the same like if you meet a meatloaf fan like you're immediately like friends and like down the rabbit hole together <laughs> sort of though you know what i don't think i've met anyone in person who is as big of a fan as me and that's not to be self-aggrandizing it just <laughs> means i'm just like a really fa- big fan i saw his movies uh his yeah. tv shows too over the years i because i've seen him th- 13 times and wow. i would go see him with various friends the friend that i uh i met him on his uh kind of like tour bus uh area after a houston show wow and action it was kind of a it was kind of a similar story where he was trying to downplay his fame a little bit. And my friend immediately, like he thought it'd be funny to be like, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Like, <laughs> Wayne's, Wayne's world. Yeah. And me very seriously, me was like, nope, get up. No, no, you're not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just like you. And his um, famously, he had said, I don't want any promotional materials to refer to me as like star legend. Like, don't put that in interviews. Like, don't do that. So I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like a, a family guy, right? He, you know, had a couple of great girls. And, you know, he, like you said, he was playing golf in your town, Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's not a yeah. crazy wild guy anymore. Maybe right. in the 70s, <laughs> but that was the 70s, you know. Yeah. And and I didn't I didn't know his daughter personally. She was a couple of years behind me, Pearl, who, Pearl? Um, yeah. Yeah, Pearl, who yeah. ended up, uh, he's now married to Scott Ian from anthrax but yeah, yeah I, I was because i i talked to my brother who's a couple years younger and he's like yeah no i i mean i knew of her and she was just it was just a normal person and i think she was kind of the same way like yeah you know 
oh, is your dad? But, you know, never really wanted to get into it too much. Just kind of wanted to live a, a nor as much of a normal life as she possibly could. Yeah. And she's got a great band, too. Yeah. She plays mm -hmm. out here in L.A. a lot. Amazing voice. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's jump in here a little bit. Let's start. Let's start these very well-researched and thought-out questions <laughs> that, that everyone loves to, to go over. The first five are pretty factual, simple stuff. Date, venue, city, artist, tour. Can you give us, can you lay that down us? Yeah, so it was August 3rd, 1994. Like I said, I, um, I'd become this big Meatloaf fan at age 12, and I was just 13. Um, when okay. this uh, was coming to town, it was the Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion in Houston. Um, it was for the Everything Louder Than Everything Else tour, which he was touring all around the world at that point. So, yeah. So, so had he already done the Bat Out of Hell 2 tour, then this was the follow-up tour to that? Well, the Everything Louder tour, which is a track off Bat 2, was uh, in support of Bat 2. And okay. that tour, I mean, he toured that for a really long time and it was mm -hmm. huge. And he was, yeah, selling out arenas all over the world with it yeah people were rediscovering his performing although it was interesting because even in the 80s and even when he was kind of between albums too they would get sold on the strength of his live shows sure and he'd play these like small venues and blow the roof off the place and i think finally being able to be back in arenas around that time from what i understand was really huge from him well no doubt and if you don't believe what stephanie's saying here folks about it going number one all over the world i'll just run down a few of the countries where it did go to number one that would include the united states and the uk our biggest markets right switzerland sweden norway new zealand netherlands lithuania never seen their charts before ireland iceland germany denmark canada belgium austria and australia where it was actually the number one song of the year in 1993 and the same in the uk number one song of the year multi-platinum around the world just the song and of course the yeah. album did well too right so this yeah. is a really big deal for him a huge comeback and he toured i mean he toured his his, his large rear off didn't he yeah yeah he really did and a fun fact that i've realized has been kind of lost to the sands of time though you guys might know it is the anything for love video it was directed by michael bay and it was played all the time on yeah. vh1 and mtv and i really think that propelled him because it is quite a video if you have not seen it recently no, no, definitely it's go time. back and watch it it's you a know, beauty and the beast style yeah, yeah i i can't tell you that i knew michael bay did that but now thinking about it yeah that kind of makes sense because there were a couple of big like big like wide michael bay-esque shots and yes. yeah it was all over the place it played a lot yeah. on mtv at the time and yeah i think it was kind of one of those things where as soon as that happened like the first record came back on the charts and everybody right suddenly remembered oh yeah we really love this dude yeah totally well wasn't bad out of the hell almost like dark side of the moon in america like it <laughs> it generally never left the charts for like decades at a time like every week or every two weeks or whatever it would sell fifteen thousand copies or something like that right yes yes you're absolutely right and it's in the guinness book of world records for its like constant chart longevity which again is awesome you know meat had it all for sure yes attested to how big he was and yet like we've already agreed he's not for everybody it's not yeah. like I, I don't know who is for everybody the bgs at least at one point <laughs> they were right you know yeah. Right. But but it's I mean the record sales that he has you would think okay well he's Led Zeppelin or he's you know he's got something special you know and he does it's just not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Toby Ames, the director of the rock and roll documentary In the Court of the Crimson King, King Crimson at 50, and you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, you said it's a Cynthia Woods. Would you say that was an amphitheater or an arena? This was definitely an amphitheater. Okay. Um, and we had lawn seats. And yeah, just as Meat said in Paradise by the Dashboard Light, I remember every little thing about that night as if it happened only yesterday. So wow. uh, I'm happy to tell that story if we're, if we're ready for it. That's Absolutely. what we're here for. But all right, so obviously, <laughs> number eight is, was it your idea? Did you go with the crowd? We know you wanted to go. <laughs> Who did you go there with and how did you get there? Yeah. So the context of me being, I mean, I had just turned 13 years mm -hmm. old. So, you know, I didn't have the autonomy of a car or anything else. But being this semi-newly minted fan, I think I'd been just really obsessively listening to him for a little over a year at that point. Okay. And I wanted to see this show um, more than anything. And I really distinctly remember that the uh, Woods Pavilion had a special deal that night where ages 12 and under could get a free ticket with the purchase of a ticket. So I remember Meat was going to be in town um, and it was the night of my regular weekly piano lesson. Okay. And I <laughs> begged my parents, specifically my dad, to take me to the show. I begged. And um, my parents finally said, if you pay for the piano lesson that you'll miss and you pay for both you and your father's tickets to the show, then he'll take you okay. and you can go. And because I passed for like 12 years old at age 13, I got my ticket free, nice. paid for my dad's ticket, and then we went. Bogo. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. Yes, I'm 12. Yeah. Amazing. So your dad, you're 13 years old with your dad at the Meatloaf show on the lawn. I mean, I guess, do they have TV screens then for you? Yeah, we had pretty good lawn seats. But yeah, mm -hmm. we were back for, you know, it's the um, edge of all those seats and we were 
back there and we had um we had big screens we had pretty good view that night yeah we had pretty good now, view wait a minute i want to back this up for a minute here <laughs> on that night what were the odds that your father thinking this was actually going to happen there's no way she'll pay for the thing and you know lesson and everything i don't have to go to this show like was he was he kicking and screaming or was he excited to go what was this <laughs> like good i question. can't believe i'm actually doing this on a wednesday night mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I remember it was like for me, like a campaign of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, guys, this show, like I have to go to this show. This is what I have to do. And they were, my parents were still like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, right. like, I'll do anything. Mm -hmm. I'll do anything. Just like the song. And they were <laughs> like, uh, if you did this, I remember my my mom also suggested be like, maybe bake your dad a cake for when he comes home from work to really sweeten this deal. So nice. I did. Uh, I did all these things. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, whether or not you guys want to be there that night, we're going to go. And oh, I just remembered my dad's old college roommate played Bad Out of Hell on a loop over and over that album so continuously that my dad really was burned oh, out no. yeah he hated it right? oh, no. yeah, never wanted to like, hear that again yeah and was like why do i have this daughter who's like obsessed <laughs> with this meatloaf oh, show like God. when i was tortured in my dorm room You're here with to this. torture me <laughs> so that was a funny detail <laughs> it sank into your dad's dna <laughs> and that he passed it to you that's exactly <laughs> what the rock and roll does you know <laughs> i'm telling you that's why we have to share so. these stories, you know, to the next generation <laughs> so they can explain, Daddy, why do I love The Who when my friends don't even know who The Who are? Exactly. I it's don't know, honey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I guess at 13, at going with your dad, you don't have much of a pregame ritual, but did you, like, sing in front of the mirror before you left? Did you make sure you had your exact outfit you wanted? I mean, what did you do? You know, I remember being like, okay, I'm going to try to find, because the internet was kind of in its infancy back then. Mm. I was trying to find on, they called them uh, bulletin boards or Usenet back then, like, oh, what are the songs based right. on his other stops and trying to figure out, is it just going to be from the first Bad Out of Hell and then uh, Bad Out of Hell 2 songs that he plays, which he did. He played songs from both those albums, but not from his other ones. Right. And I was trying to figure out, you know, song order, like, what's he going to do? How's he going to do it? But back then there was just less information around there, around that. So That's it was right. kind of a little bit of a expedition to be like, what should I expect? You know? Good for you though, because you're right. I mean, there was no way to know what the, the set list was going to be unless you knew somebody in another town and could, who had already seen them or something like that. There was really no information out there like that, but that was kind of the magic of it. And now I can't help myself. Like I always go to <laughs> setlist.fm to see, okay, All what is he going to play? Right? Because yeah, because I want to be familiar with it. Right. I, I want to have some idea. I want to schedule my bathroom breaks, you know, I'm that age. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I got you. All right. But did, who did, did anyone open for him or was it an evening with? Yeah. Um, cheap trick opened uh no way him. yeah and it was uh they were really good they were really good i was kind of an old soul even at that age so mm -hmm. um, i did know most of their hits but they put on a really energetic show and you know i've been to a lot of shows since where people you know just peace out during right. the opening act or whatever but people were very into what cheap trick was putting down that night so they were picking up what they're putting down it was really that's good. awesome <laughs> I've seen Cheap Trick as an opening act for Aerosmith, and I thought, wow, cool. they've still got it, man. I mean, they, yeah. uh, they they did just as well as Aerosmith did. I mean, you know, Robin doesn't do everything Steven does on the stage, but I thought, sonically, they were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, they really do put on a good show, yeah. Yeah, Rick likes to joke that we're everybody's sixth favorite band. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. But they never, I've never heard anyone see him live and say, you know what? I didn't like the cheap trick show. I mean, honestly, I've only heard good things about them live. All right. So we're talking about the lawn. So you're at the front of the lawn then, right? I mean, like getting close to the seated area, right? Yeah. Okay. How was the sound? Was this your first concert? Have you been to concerts before? I had gone. So my very first concert I'd ever gone to was a Beach Boys show. Okay, cool. Reunited Beach Boys uh, downtown. And that wasn't, we were very far away for that one. But the sound for this was surprisingly good. You wouldn't necessarily think so. But I was like, okay, yeah, like we got it. We're loud. We should have even worn earplugs out here on the lawn, which you didn't think you'd need. Wow. Um, but it was great. Yeah, it was really good. What was so, the, uh, I was going to say, what was the weather like? I'm just thinking now it's August in Houston and you're outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember it was like, shockingly okay that night or maybe my threshold um, for heat growing (laughs) up in houston is just really yeah my threshold for heat must have also been pretty high okay but uh but yeah it was temperate enough that there was a lot of people out on the lawn with us that night a lot of people opting to have their little picnics out on the lawn yeah nice all right well so we mentioned the sound is there a band behind him doing all this are they piping it in i mean are they playing stuff behind on the screens that are like videos and stuff or is it just showing him play live yeah meat was always very theatrical um in his performances so um not only did he have kind of like screens and little special effects for of that time but Mm -hmm. his uh longtime band the neverland express was back there uh to back in him that night and um those were also the days of his main vocalist for a long time patty russo who did uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light with him that night cool. and and filled in as the female vocalist for Anything for Love, which she did on the live tour. Um, even though on the record, it's um, Mrs. Loud or Lorraine Crosby. But okay. but oh, yeah, yeah, he's very much like a team, team player up on that stage. And he's really, I think what I always loved seeing him in shows, uh, my favorite thing was just, he was just so theatrical and he kind of just felt like sometimes you were watching a, a Broadway show. <laughs> so Because he's really giving it out there, right? He's like yeah. struggling with everything and singing loud and using his hands, using his body, yeah. singing on the ground. Yes, singing on the ground. Yeah. Paradise by the Dashboard Light is always like a very choreographed one too. And it's usually the studio version's an eight and a half minute song and he usually makes it like a 20 minute performance and concert. Right. It's this very... It's like a literal, you're watching theater up there. So if you knew what to expect, you were like, oh yeah, cool. And I think people who are new to that were kind of like, what is he doing? <laughs> well, how did you feel about that though? Well, go ahead, Jackson. I, I was going to say that was one of the things we were talking about kind of earlier was what were these, what were the run times on these songs? Because it looks like there's only 11 songs that he played. So obviously some of these were stretched out. Yeah. Yeah. He really, really stretches these out. And yeah, Paradise would be live. I mean, all the times i saw it's 20 to 30 minutes wow there's a documentary okay. yeah there's a documentary called in search of paradise that just talks about like his evolution of that song and how because he was using there was like a younger vocalist at one point too and people were like oh is, like is this copacetic like what's going on but um oh yes, yeah he was really yeah. really known for that performance and then i think in this tour stop too because i was looking at the dallas set list which mm-hmm. is online but that was for the next night was uh objects in the rearview mirror maybe pretty closer than they are and that he also doing that one live like he would stretch that out too and that was usually at least like a a 15 minute song and actually there's a a clip this week that got unearthed um that had never been before seen it's on instagram all over the place now it's um him and jim steinman 
playing together on that tour, doing a live version of Objects. Oh, wow. Um, and it was really moving. And people were like, oh, my God, these two legends hope they're doing something in the great beyond, you know? Okay. From Battle to Hell 2, what Tim Steinman considers the best song he's ever written in his entire life. And also, what happens to be the longest title of any one song ever written. Yeah, no doubt. Well, no, okay, so you mentioned Jim Steinman. He did play songs from Bad Out of Hell and, and Bad Out of Hell too, but then he also played a couple songs from a Jim Steinman solo album, or it was a band that he had together, right? Um, I don't know if it was that night, to my knowledge, unless it was, um, well, Rock and Roll Dreams is technically a cover um, of a Jim Steinman song off the Bad for Good album. The, the one from the the one from Dallas is Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's off. Yeah, Jim Steinman's album too. Okay. Yeah, did and he, technically, did he do yeah, those are both covers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, so, but did you have that album? Uh, did you know about that record when you went to the show? Yeah, I was also kind of turning into a little Steinman super fan. Um, and <laughs> nice. back in those days, of course, you could not order that on the internet, so I had to go to like a special order at Sam Goody or something. So I nice. uh, had had that, and I was like, oh, cool. These appeared on Bad for Good. Back before they appeared on Bad Out of Hell too. This yeah. is so neat. And to, uh, and I think most Meat fans in the audience that night didn't know that those were like, okay, technically covers, yes. but um, Jim did it Meat first, really, but yeah. yeah, you know, but Meat definitely made that his own. And those versions off Bat 2 are some of my favorites. So does Meat do any of the writing, like any of the lyrics, or is it, uh, I know Steinman does the, the music, but does, does Meat help with the lyrics at all? You know, the way they describe their collaboration, because Jim is credited as the writer for really most of his, most right. of his hits, I will say. Um, even though I do love all of Meat's albums, but Meat and even Jim described it as um, they would talk about like Meat's life mm-hmm. and that Jim would write based on that. So even though Meat didn't get a credit, like for Paradise, that's a Meat was like, oh, here's what happened to me growing okay. up, and Jim's like, oh, I have a story about that. Mm-hmm. And Objects in the Rearview Mirror, that's that's a very that's a very personal story about Meat's life, including um, some abuse uh, that he grew up dealing with from his father. Wow. Um, and all that. And Jim said, yeah, let me let me take your stories, me. I'll I'll uh, write about them. But so, yes, you were looking forward to theatricality, though, right? I mean, you've been studying him for a year, year and a half, something like that. You couldn't wait to see the show. Whereas, yeah, some people are like, whoa, he really runs around and does this <laughs> like, you know, he's on Broadway or something. It's like, yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I was really excited about it. I was like, yes, bring on the theater. And it's something he always continued to do, too, mm-hmm. even into his very late tours. He's like, I think in one of the recent ones or the one of the last ones I saw was like it's the show starts with a fake exploding amp like on stage and then the show like kind of begins but that's his whole you know it's like you kind of expect a little bit of shtick right (laughs) to just begin out so it's just like all right tour to tour what's gonna be kind of his little shtick so this is theatricality yeah yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) brilliant all right. All right, let's get some more of the fun stuff here. So we can open up a little bit. Favorite moment of the show, <laughs> of the evening? Um, something I was thinking about was that night, someone in between songs threw up a pair of underwear on stage and he picked them up and he held them up and he was just like, oh, I don't know. Do these match my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And the crowd, 
the crowd like thought it was hilarious but i was like oh man he's such like a good improviser too on stage like he's he was always just really funny like he was just really funny to go see which i appreciated you've so you've seen him many times i mean do you have any other great meatloaf stage moments like that that you can recall or that you could share with us oh man i think i appreciated let's see i saw a show he called it meatloaf on broadway and it was in a Broadway theater is just basically one of his shows in a Broadway theater. And he, I think, forgot the lyrics to Objects, um, which he very rarely played, but forgot those lyrics like halfway through and just kind of started making fun of himself. And (laughs) like, and that was really cool. Like he could have been like, oh, man, okay, like we got to start sober or whatever. He's like, no, guys, like this is a 15 minute song. Like some of this, like I got to think about. And everybody, of course, was on his side after that, because how can you not be? Yeah. But I appreciated that he didn't take himself too seriously, which, you know, sometimes you see that kind of ego and, you know, situations like that, or even when you're that big. Yeah, you don't have the you don't have the freak out, walk off stage. This is over. Yeah. No diva behavior. Yeah, good. That's that's good to hear. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's a human being like the rest of us. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to remember those words. Exactly. Did you just say Meatloaf was a sex guy? You said that, didn't I? You, you said that, right? I happen to wholeheartedly agree with you, baby. I think you're up. I am a sex god, sex god, sex god, sex god. Thank you, honey, for the inspiration. All right, so that's a great moment. What about your favorite song from this evening in particular? You know, I loved hearing Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. Like, that was really special for me. I, of course, like at that point had gone like into his back catalog. So even though that wasn't on the radio all the time, I knew that was something I'd really love to hear live. And I remember that night he said something like it was uh, thanking us all for our support over the years. And Uh he's like, but especially this these last 10 months you know which is the release of the album and he's like let's go ahead and let's go ahead and rev up this song and whether or not that part was maybe an act it was still like people were like oh my god he's really gonna do it for us and everybody was really excited about that and i was i was totally thrilled wow so he did play it that night yeah uh, he did play two out of three because he didn't play it most of that tour from what i can see yeah i don't think it was a a standard in his set list at that point yeah well then that's pretty special in and of itself i mean it felt really special yeah that's pretty cool yeah Jackson, have you ever had a, a moment like that where, like, you know the set list or, you know, you, you figure what it is and then they pull something out? You're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And I can't. And, and I, was, as, I knew you were going to ask me that question and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I I kind of there is nothing better than that. They're like, hey, you know, I don't know. I'm on the fence. And then they pull it out. And it's yeah, it's great. And it's maybe something that you there maybe you think there is a little bit of spontaneity to this and it's not just all canned. Yeah. Well, but see, the thing is, I mean, in an act like Meatloaf's show, right? Like you say, he does perform and act these things out. And sometimes he's rolling on the ground and stuff like that. And you have to have some choreography with the lights and the sound for certain things. You know, it's not exactly a Kiss concert, but still, (laughs) 
you know, it, these things are pretty well planned out. So you, for something that is so theatrical, it's hard to just stick something in there sometimes, right? But if he did, I mean, do you... Uh, this is a weird question. Do you remember the lighting or anything being different from that song or being just like steady and plain? Because I feel like yeah. if, if they hadn't done it, they would just leave it. If they weren't prepared for it, they would just kind of leave it one way or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I remember it being like it was just like suddenly kind of like low lighting and just a single spotlight they're just like all right and then the band i think is used to his you know changes and they're just sure. like all right that's what the boss wants us to we do we know tonight. what to do yeah yeah so they like knew what to rev right into uh but it was like oh man like i've heard this so much the studio version of it like my little 13 year old mind was blown being able to hear it that night it was so cool now is that your favorite was that your favorite meat love track at the time uh you know it was either that or uh probably at the time, Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was really special, too. But you say at the time, what are your favorites now? Are they different? My favorites of all time, uh, it's such a good question. Bad Out of Hell is probably my favorite album of by anyone of all time or in the top three. Um, I love it so much. What else would be in the top three? Soundtrack for my life. Oh, Ever. Oh, man. Um, Lou Reed's Transformer. Okay. Um, and, oh, God, you know, I, I rank these all the time because I'm such a music nerd. <laughs> I just rank them in my head. Uh, you know, Prince's Purple Rain is... That's a like, good little- one. <laughs> will never not be very special for me. Yeah. But then if you were 13 in 1994, you were awfully young when Purple Rain came out. So you didn't get that like as it came. You kind of found it a little later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Purple Rain came out in the 80s, but I was not like allowed to see that movie or anything. Sure. At that, that, was, age, that was for a good. Sure. That was a good call on your parents. You have part. good parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I subsequently, you know, got to see all this in the theatrical re-releases and stuff. But uh yeah, at the time, they were like, I don't know about Prince. Yeah, there have um, been a lot of questions that they didn't want to answer. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Our parents were the same way, except it was happening like they had Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and then Prince. He's like, you don't listen to Prince. I'm like, I don't. I like yeah. that Corvette song. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, exactly. The problem is, is this song called Darling Nikki, and we really don't want you yeah. to hear that one. You don't want to ask, yeah, you don't want questions about that one in particular. Yeah. A lot of facts of life with that, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Don't listen to Lady <laughs> Cab Driver. <laughs> yeah. So here's one that, to kind of bring it all down again. Biggest disappointment of the show of the evening. You know, I thought about it, and I... I don't think the show itself, like there was any disappointments. The only thing was, I think back then, buying meet and greet packages were a little more normalized. You don't see, I don't know, quite as much of that anymore. But I remember being like, oh man, if I had money, because I do remember that night, like they'd offered that. And I do remember being like, oh my God, if I could go backstage. And years later, I did get to meet him. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, man, some of these fans tonight, like, just get to go hang with them. Mm-hmm. And I do remember being like, if only. But honestly, I was so happy just to be at that show. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. OK, well, so then now you got to tell us about the time you did meet him. Yeah, yeah. So um, my uh, friend Andy and I went to see him in, was it 1999? Yeah. You'll have to tell and me. And that was in Houston. 
and it was after the show and we went to go hang out by the tour bus and we were thinking he comes out or he doesn't but whatever but it was a handful of us there and and we we're standing there and somebody comes out and they're like he's gonna be he's gonna come out in a few minutes uh hang out here uh, i want you guys to like line up by the door um which okay. was not what we were expecting at all we didn't really expect anything and he signed he sat there in the driver's seat and like had us like stand right there and like sign stuff for us and wow. talked with us and i think i said uh i think i just blurted out actually <laughs> i was like i love you meatloaf and he just like, looks at me he's just like we love you too which is the royal we which was such a such a thing that's such a meatloaf thing wow. I'm talking in we all the time and then yes my friend as i was saying he uh was like i'm not worthy and then meat was like get up no you're worthy we're gonna <laughs> yeah. talk we're gonna talk like humans um, mm -hmm. and then signed some stuff for him too so wow. i was just over the moon it was really really nice of him and he didn't have to do that you know he could have just been like well, yeah right. yeah i've had a long i've had a long day guys um but it was really nice that is so cool yeah it was really really neat i think that that speaks to a to somebody who understands like the only reason that he's there is because of people like you buying tickets. And I think, I think some people yeah. get caught up in the, well, you know, I, I gave them enough. That's it. Yeah. I'm out. But yeah, somebody who definitely understands it's about the fans. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I noticed that every show he'd sneak in some kind of gratitude for the fans. He's like, I wouldn't be here at all. Like if it weren't for you guys, like, thank you so much. And I thought that was really cool. And he just, he'd always just give it his all on stage. And mm. it was just so cool to watch. Yeah. Well, let's face it. Meatloaf had been through some hard times. I mean, yes, Bad Out of the Hell was incredible, but then the eighties came and he had some financial troubles and he had uh, some substance troubles and you've got a family and that's always going to give everyone troubles at some point, you know? And so, you know, and so he was doing small shows and they thought his career was over. And now he was really back on top. I mean, he's playing those big sheds. He's playing arenas. He's playing around the world. Yeah. So it's great to see that he wasn't just like, okay, I'm back in top. You know, I don't have to deal with these people anymore. It's like, no, this is now exactly where I get my own gratitude from is to, to spend some time with people who waited backstage to see me. Yeah, totally. And it's so interesting with Bad Out of Hell 2 and kind of his fame after that, he'd always say, yeah, guys, this, is, this isn't a comeback. Like, I've always been here. But to me, like, everything that he did in kind of that re-rise mm -hmm. back is, like, kind of incredible when you think about it. Because, yeah, he there's a point in the 80s and he talks about it in his biography where he couldn't even, like, he couldn't go buy milk for his family at the store. Things were really bad. Ooh. He had gotten a bad end of a royalty deal. And right. uh, the label really, really tried to screw him over and he was he's like i have to go pound the pavement i have to do these shows and um the strength of these live shows i think really even propelled him even as bad out of hell was getting traction yeah bad out of hell too was getting traction it was a great behind the music one of the greatest it was a great you know <laughs> yes one of my faves yes i used to love behind the music so good uh, but then, you know, at the end of the day, it was kind of like, eventually it's always the same things. Like we all came from nothing and then we all made it and then we all fucked it up. And now here we are just trying to make the best of it as we're older. It was basically oh, yes. every single one. It was, <laughs> it was always when they were going to go in the break. The times were going now, but tragedy would soon strike. Next, <laughs> yes. Next this on the Def Leppard. The good times wouldn't last. Oh, you're, yeah, time. you're yeah, you're waiting for it. like here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here comes the crash. Boom, boom, yeah. yeah. 
but it was such a good That's format. Exactly. I mean, I watch it on bands I disliked. You know, it's mm-hmm, like, okay, let's see. You know, I was like, oh, Poison's got one. Yeah, okay, let's yeah. see how they screwed it up. You know, <laughs> all Whatever. of them. Oh my god. Where did it go wrong for Culture Club? Hmm. Let me just tune in. <laughs> Wait for it. Oh, it was the heroin. <laughs> That's out. what it was. <laughs> oh, and the you know love affair between the band members, which one of them denies. Yeah, sure. that's that <laughs> that'll mess you up. All right, it's true. Hi, my name is Renee Richardson from the Metallica Report, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Did I get that right? (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) oh, you're fun, Stephanie. We got to have you on some more. (laughs) This is great. Let's see. All right. So you've seen him, what, you say 12 more times after that or 12 times total? 13? Yeah, 13 times total. Yeah, over the years. And uh, he, he didn't always like tour really extensively there was times where he didn't so i do feel lucky to have seen him during those times because i know in comparison like i have friends who are big like dave matthews heads and Mm -hmm. have literally seen him hundreds of times but it's like that guy's touring constantly right (laughs) so like i felt like i had to i had to see me where i could but i saw him i lived in new york for a really long time i saw him a number of times there i saw him in texas and then i think the final time i saw him play was um at princeton i think it was princeton new jersey show yeah and um and he was great and it was such a special time yeah what year was that last show i will have to look that up because i am terrible with years but i do have a little list of all the shows i've seen so i definitely have it written down that's all good did did he ever um did he ever disappoint or did you bring it every single time you saw him um he brought it pretty much every time i think there's there's one show where I could tell he was having voice issues and he talked mm. about it pretty openly mm. later that he was kind of trotted out by his management at the time and been like, yeah, you have this cyst that you're recovering from and we don't care. Um, get out Ooh. there. And uh, he talked about it later and he's like, yeah, I was struggling through it, but they put me out there like I was a show pony. And um, like in that night we were all like pulling for him, but we knew it was like, oh man, this isn't this isn't his usual thing. Like something's mm. wrong. And we were um, a little concerned, but yeah, he talks about that pretty openly and said, yeah, I was told to get on the road when I was useless and he had to, yeah, come back to health after that. But there was never a time when he, when you could tell he wasn't into it. He was always there to perform. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Even when it was like, when you could tell he was moving through it, like he was always there to perform. Mm-hmm. I also saw him, I flew out for his, um, he did a Vegas residency called okay. Rock Tales and Rock Tales and Cocktails, I think is what it was called. And so they were encouraged to like tell the stories of the songs. And I think it was the Planet Hollywood Theater. I think that's right. Okay. And um, he and that was a real theatrical experience. And I just remember, like, not only did they have, you know, in the style of Vegas, like acrobats in the middle of the show and fire eaters, but they even had in the Anything for Love, they had a huge levitating bed, like in the music video. <laughs> this out. Wow. Um, so he was just always really committed to the theater, I think, of what he was doing. And that's Absolutely. whether or not, you know. It's like wherever I, whatever I'm doing personally, like I'm still going to give these guys a show. So I always appreciated that about him. Where all did you see him in New York? What what venues? Oh man, um, the Beacon was okay. very memorable. That'll um, be my guess. Yeah. Uh, there was a pretty intimate show at Irving Plaza, and that was pretty great. Wow. Um, that. That one sold out and it was like standing room only, but that was really cool. And then Jones Beach once, the number of shows I went out to Jersey to see too when he decided he wasn't playing the city proper. He wasn't going to play New York, but I, I was gotcha. like, well, if he's on tour, I'm going to go. 
<laughs> I will go sure. find him if he's in a hundred mile radius of me. Good for you. Yeah. So, all right. So this first one though, of those 13, is it the best you've ever seen him? Is it up there? Where do you rank it? Ish. It was such a, it was such a special, special night for me. Um, it was the best, if not one of the best, because it was just, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. Right. Um, and he still, you know, continued to wow me over the years, but that was one of the, that was just like such a special night, even beyond the concert. It was just like, oh my God, this is happening. And to even, you know, <laughs> have convinced my parents to do this, I think was, I was still riding that high. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, after the show, you're riding high, right? You still got the buzz of the music. It was loud. So you can still kind of feel it on your body a little bit, right? Your ears are yeah. ringing and you're just psyched about what you just saw. I mean, what'd you do afterwards? I mean, obviously you didn't go out party with your friends, you know? <laughs> you know, it was a school night and I remember like really distinctly my dad's like, we got to beat traffic. Like we got to, we got to get out there to the parking lot right now. Like, yeah. and we drove home as, as quickly as we could. Houston traffic is crazy as is and was like, all right, well, you still, you still got to go to school the next morning. Um, so, of you course. know, not, not a lot of time to bask in it afterwards, but but that was fine. That was fine. That was that was the version for that night. And that was cool. Uh, well, I think it sounds like you have great parents, right? I mean, they, yeah. they, they raised <laughs> you right. They let you get into rock and roll. They, they yeah. tried to push back for a while at taking you. Said, okay, pay for everything. And you'll go. It's like, all right, well, she paid for it. God bless her. You know, all right, well, I'm taking it. Fine. And then when it's time to go, we're out of here. Oh, God. The, the Griswolds are leaving the parking lot, you know. <laughs> like a bat out of hell, man. Nice. <laughs> Did your um, friends at school know that how big of a fan you were? Uh, they did, but it was funny because um, I remember some of them had also like seen the show, which I found out later. Okay, and they didn't really tell me because people were at that age, like I think, kind of embarrassed. I was sure. going to um, say it wasn't very cool. I can't imagine. Yeah. Like, oh, my favorite band is me. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody wore like a bat out of hell to shirt the next day and everybody was like, what's that? You know, so <laughs> the social pressure of junior high. Oh. I don't know if, if everybody thought that was cool. But like for me, it was just like, yeah, guys, like. I don't care. And everybody knows it. Like to this day, everybody's like, Stephanie's the hardcore meatloaf fan. That's Especially right. as you get older, you stop caring. You know, that is the one nice thing. Yeah. There are definitely <laughs> bands that we've talked about. It was like, I would never have admitted that back then, but now I can say proudly that <laughs> I, you know, I, I listen to that kind of music and it makes me happy. So yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because meatloaf himself would occasionally even reference that he called uh, one of his tours, like the guilty pleasures tour. Cause he's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever, guys. You know, he just leans right into it. You know, you so, like it. Yeah, he's <laughs> like whatever. So I always thought that was cool. He knows who he is. He knows his exactly. Audience. He knows who yes, he is. Absolutely. Well, obviously, he's not with us anymore. But do you do you have any regrets about not seeing him more than? You did? And like, if he was still around, would you still be going to see him? Yeah, yeah. If he was around, I'd definitely still be going to see him for sure. And I know there's some groups and tributes keeping the legacy alive. And I think that's really cool. To me, it's like, and the day he died, you know, it was just just this sad moment of like, oh man to never be able to see him live again mm -hmm. just so yeah it was just like ah oh, it's just a gut punch because it's just such he just made 
he just made those shows feel so special. He just made him feel so special. Yeah. What, what was the biggest gut punch for you ever, Jackson? When when you one of your when some, one of your heroes died? I'm trying to think about if there was somebody that passed away that I knew that I would never see again. And I and and I think part of it was I'm trying to remember exactly who it was because it was on the tip of my tongue as we were talking about this or in the back of my mind. Who was it that was just like oh like I know like it was sad when Charlie Watts died. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of thinking to myself. I mean, we'd seen him before, but you know, maybe one more time. And you know, he was kind of the the glue that held everything together. So right. that, yeah, that was sad. Yeah, it it just seems like you know. I mean, unfortunately, the older we get, the more this is going to happen. Well, that's right. That's why we do our shows to keep Correct. the rock alive and share the memories while we have them. For me, it was definitely Neil Peart. Yeah. yeah. I was okay. li- I was living yeah. in London, and it was I don't know. It was like eleven o'clock at night. The girls were asleep. And I was just reading news and it was like, I was, I was reading my iPad here and it's like, you, you get one of those new flash news flashes. That's like two lines, you know, it's like drummer from rush, Neil Peart, dot, dot, dot. I'm like, uh Oh, this yeah. is, this is going to be that he died. Uh. And then I, you know, and they're, they're one of my favorite bands. Like you've got three, you know, that, you know, my top three bands all time are Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin and rush can't, you know, discern between one or the other who's bigger for me, but I've seen Rush 12 times and I kind of knew that their last tour that I saw Neil, I mean, he wanted off the road and everything. He was ready, but obviously they had kept it secret that he was sick and now I have this child. You know, I, I started taking her to see Kiss because she loved Kiss and Scooby-Doo. I took her to see The Who in Wembley with an orchestra. I oh, took well. her to see The Stones in Hyde Park and I've got these opportunities to pass it on to her and I'm like, I would love to take her to a Rush show. And even though they were going to stop touring, I'm like, well, they could do a residency or they could, you know, do something where they could still play together at some point. So at that moment, I knew that was over. And I was in a foreign country by myself all alone. I was very upset that night, Jackson. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it hit you that hard. It did. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it, I, I think I felt the same way too. Cause when the headline comes up, you're like, you know, he wasn't arrested at some place for causing trouble. Like this is bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's probably bad. And, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it, now that we're now thinking about it too, I think Jeff Beck also, because just because it was so like with Charlie watch, you knew something was, something was off because he was, you know, he was they out replaced for a while. Him, yeah. and, mm-hmm. Right. And then the same thing with Neil too, when, when they had the, uh, that farewell to Kings movie. I was like, Oh, something's not, I don't know. Something's off with this, but Jeff, he was, he was here and gone. He was on tour. So yeah, we just did a review of him and Johnny Depp in London, like a couple months before he died, you know? Oh man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not end on that. You know, let's end end on a high note. Hey, meatloaf was this extraordinary artist who captured hearts around the world. One of them was Miss Stephanie Myers. And she had the rare ability to see him live as a young woman. And it's changed her life. And look at her now. She's the host and co-host of two amazing podcasts and gets to share her stories with people who love rock and roll, but maybe didn't know a lot about meatloaf. And we appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you having me. It's been wonderful. Anytime guys, anytime. Thank you. Uh, Do you want to give a plug on uh, where people can find more on Stephanie and Stephanie and song facts or anything you want to plug? Sure. Um, Folks can find uh, Stephanie and Stephanie talk tunes at Stephanie's We're taking a short break after three years of doing every other week. So we will be back in March. So expect that. And then Song Facts podcast, you can find wherever you get podcasts. And for the stories behind the songs, you can go to songfacts.com. Um, I just released episodes with Mike Stoller of the songwriters Lieber and Stoller. It's amazing. That's out this week. He was so cool. Writer of Jailhouse Rock and 
trouble and hound dog and is that all there is and so much more so he was 90 years old i do suggest folks listen to that because it was a lot of fun not a bad first show stephanie that's <laughs> it was really fun that's amazing yeah oh, good for you <laughs> well thank you so much and we'll definitely want to have you back on again here soon i mean we got to have both of you on to do an album with us sometime I mean, that yeah. might take two and a half hours as much as we'll all <laughs> want to talk about it but uh, still it'd be fun i'd love that yeah that'd be really fun Well, our thanks to Stephanie Myers of two great podcasts, Stephanie and Stephanie Talk Tunes and Song Facts. And what a good time that was, making a new friend and learning all about meatloaf. You know, someone we're all kind of aware of, and it's either you're a big fan of him or not. But apparently, at least twice in history, people all over the world have freaked out for him, and he captured the mind and heart of a young Stephanie Myers in the 1990s. And from there, her life was never the same. Huge fan, but to see him 13 times. Whereas a necklace with his guitar string in it. And as in a weirdo, a functioning member of society, doing good things for the world, both on and off our podcast. And that was a lot of fun. A fun conversation, and I learned about Meatloaf. I'm sure Jackson did too. We hope you did too. So thanks to Stephanie Myers. Thanks to Pantheon Podcast, of which we are both proud members. And thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Use code UGLY. Save yourself 10% off any purchase at rarevinyl.com. It'll be a month or so before you hear from us again on First Concert Memories. And we want to hear from you. Which bands changed your life when you saw them live for the first time? Which concerts got you into rock and roll and haven't let you out since? Email us. Let us know. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. We're also on Instagram. We're on Threads. We're on YouTube. So reach out to us. Let us know the concerts that changed your lives. And whatever you do out there, rock and rollers, keep going to live music. It's the best way to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.